concluding our uh, study on Jesus' response to the disciples' questions, Lord, teach us to pray. And you're correct, if you looked and did not find a study guide, there's not one. Um, We had technical difficulties. I had started it uh, here in my office and uh, took off uh, late in the afternoon and one of the ladies in the office was going to email it to me and it just disappeared off the computer, just went away. So I thought, well, I'll start over at home, and I was working on it at home. I went to save it, disappeared off my computer. Got this little message that said, uh, file corrupted, cannot save to protect your computer. Well, thanks. (laughs) You told me that before I started, (laughs) but anyway. (laughs) So I don't... So I don't know what's wrong with the file, with the file but it's, uh, it, it's gone away, and uh, you'll just have to take your own notes this morning, okay? Yes, he does. You know, yeah, <laughs> you think a hacker got it? That's good, yeah. Teach him how to pray instead of hack, you know, I don't know. But as we, as we come this morning to the last couple of verses of Luke uh, 11, 1 to 13, this uh, paragraph dealing with the subject of prayer, uh, we've taken three weeks to kind of uh, dissect this, um, taking a microscope to the words and the phrases and trying to pick out all the details. And uh, Jesus really shared this with his disciples in a relatively short period of time. I mean, you can read this paragraph in, what, two minutes? And uh, it may have taken him five, six, ten. We don't know all the teaching that went on around it. We have recorded the the essence of it by inspiration. But um, this morning I want to go back and kind of capture the context. I want to get the flow of Jesus' response, because it's important that we put it all together. You know, Jesus was praying, his disciples were observing him, and so they, they came and said, Lord, we want to learn how to pray, teach us to pray. And he responded to them in a way that he obviously had responded at other times. We don't know the exact chronology, we don't know if this passage in Luke predated the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew or the other way around. There's, there's not that exact time sequence that we can pinpoint. But the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples is very similar to what he had to say uh, on the topic of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. And we can imagine that in many audiences and many different times uh, throughout his public ministry, that as people wanted to know and as he came to the subject of prayer, that he gave this, this model to use when we come into conversation with God. It was not meant to be recited. It was meant to be an outline. It was intended to say there are, some, there are some basic things that you always need to remember when you pray. First of all, you need to remember who you're talking to. You, you need to think of God in terms of His glory and His person and who He is. 
You need to stop and, and get in touch with that. And, and then uppermost in your heart needs to be His purposes and His kingdom, what He is wanting to accomplish in this world. That needs to be at the top of your list of things to be concerned about. But that's not to neglect your personal needs. God knows that you need things. He understands your hunger, your thirst. He, he knows your need for clothing and shelter. He understands uh, other needs in your life. I mean, we can expand that legitimately. He understands your emotional needs. He understands uh, your social needs. He understands what you need. But He invites you to come and talk to Him about it, to ask Him to meet your needs. Because He cares about you. And He's interested in you. And then He's concerned about your relationships. He wants to make sure that you are not harboring bitterness or anger or resentment toward other people. And that your, your mindset is to avoid temptation, to, to stay in safe zones. And so uh, you need to talk to him about those things. And, and, and also make sure that your own heart is clean before him. So there's this... There's this uh, unfolding kind of outline that Jesus said, when you have a conversation with God, these are the kinds of things that should be on your mind. Now, Jesus was not saying by that that this is the only appropriate way to pray all the time. We talked about Peter getting out of the boat in the storm and walking toward Jesus in the waves and the billows and the storm and all that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden he starts to sink. You know, he did not stop and say, Father, I want to contemplate your character and your person here for a moment. I don't want to pray for your kingdom purposes. Peter just said, Lord, save me. Okay, that's a perfectly legitimate prayer in that circumstance. If you're drowning, help is a legitimate request. And you don't have to go through a lot of preamble. You can cut right to the chase. You know, you get those disturbing phone calls. You get those crisis moments. You have those needs that arise in your life. If you're in communion with God, it's as natural as breathing to turn to Him. Nehemiah uh, in the Old Testament is a great example of these short, to the point, urgent prayers. I especially like the one in the early part of Nehemiah. Uh, where um, he's sad in the king's presence. And, and to us, it's like, oh, well, so what? But to him, that was a potential death sentence. If you were sad in the presence of the king, you could be put to death. And that would really make you sad. And so, um, you know, Nehemiah goes into the king's presence. He is like the, the, the right-hand guy. And he goes into the king's presence, and he's sad. He's heartbroken over Jerusalem. And the king says, what is going on with you? I see, I see this thing in your face, and it is nothing but sadness of heart. And the scripture says that Nehemiah uh, writes, so I prayed to the Lord, and I said to the king. And I thought, that is just definitely to the point. I mean, the first thing out of his mind was, i got to connect with God, I, I could be in trouble here. And then, and then he started speaking, because... It was a quick kind of connection with the Father. By the way, you do that most naturally 
and, and, and most appropriately, when you have had the longer conversations and you are in a position of fellowship with God that is unhindered. That's when you are inclined to instantly migrate back to Him in a time of need. But aside from those kinds of things, Jesus gives us this, this overall kind of uh, outline for prayer. And then he tells us to, um, to be passionate and persistent in our praying. Following up that illustration about going to a friend at midnight and asking for bread, uh, following that up by saying, so I say to you, keep asking and it will be answered, keep Seeking and you will find, keep knocking and it will be opened. I had a conversation earlier this week about this passion business. And I want you to know that it's possible to be passionate about the wrong things. So passion is not the key to answered prayer. It is one of the necessary ingredients. That's important to, to remember. Because there are people who are passionate for the wrong reasons. Sometimes people are passionate and they're not even connecting with God. We talked last week about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the, the sacrifice and dousing it with water, you know, at the end of the day for Elijah. But the idea was whichever God answers by fire. Well, listen, those prophets of Baal... Are, are praying, they're, they're doing their incantations, they're dancing around the, uh, the sacrificial altar, they're cutting themselves. I mean, you can't find any more passion than those guys had. They were definitely passionate. They were clearly wrong. They weren't even talking to a living God. They were, they were just totally misguided. And so you can be passionate about the wrong things. So, so I want us to realize, um, by way of reflection, that passion in and of itself is not the secret to getting prayers answered. But Jesus is telling us that when we're talking to God about things, if we're, if we're not in some measure invested and, and interested and passionate about what we're asking, why should God be? Sometimes he waits for us to get desperate before he begins to respond. Because if we're just casual about it, and if you can't even remember what you prayed, what's the point? You know, you're just mumbling words at the ceiling. Sometimes we just throw stuff up and hope it sticks, you know. And, and there has to be behind that a, 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 an amount of investment, of concern, of passion. Um, I led the prayer time in the 8 o'clock service, and one of the people that came to my mind uh, as I was praying were uh, Scott and Sarah Taylor. And, you know, uh, I don't know how many of you get their emails, but, but they're, uh, they're in a tough spot, and they're having to pack up and come back home to the United States, um, kind of hit a wall there in the place where they're trying to serve. There's got to be all kinds of feelings going on of, of failure and, and disappointment and, and all kinds of emotions and, and their sadness. And my heart is, goes out to them. My heart is invested in them. 
they have been on my mind ever since I got the email. They keep coming back. And when they come back, I pray for them. I'm invested there. You know, I, I know what I'm asking God to do for them. I'm concerned about it. It keeps coming up uh, time and again in my heart and in my mind because I want God to, uh, to, to respond and to meet them. And I know that He loves them, and I know that He's interested in them, but the Scripture says you don't have because you don't ask. So I'm asking things for them that I know God wants to do for them in this situation because they're very much on my mind. And that's what God is looking for in terms of a prayer with commitment. He wants us to be invested. If it doesn't matter to you so that you don't think about it again, then it's not, it's not important. If it's not important to you, it's not important to God. So Jesus is making that point. And as he moves down through this progression, here, here's kind of the broad strokes of the things you need to be praying about. You need to be invested. You need to be committed. You need to be willing to enter into a dialogue with God. You need to be uh, willing to ask and to seek and to knock and to keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. Because maybe you don't have it right the first time and God wants to pull you into a conversation where you can explore the thing you're praying for. There may need to be refinement. It may need to be um, some give and take until you really get on the right track. And in the context of those statements, he gives us these last verses by way of illustration. He says, I'm talking to you fathers, and just think for a moment. Um, If your son were to ask you for a fish, you would not give him a snake. And if he were to ask you for an egg, you would not give him a scorpion. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Don't miss those three words. How much more will your father give? And Luke says something we are not expecting. (laughs) the Holy Spirit, to those who ask Him. Now, if you go look in Matthew chapter 7, and and you can look that up when you get home, just read read all of chapter 7, it'll be good for you. Uh, But if you you go look at Matthew chapter 7, and read what Jesus says in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, He uses a little different illustration. He, He sticks with the fish and the snake, but... Instead of an egg and scorpion, he uses uh, bread and stones. And then at the end, he says what we expect. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? That's, That's what we're looking for. But Luke records that he said the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about how sometimes these things kind of come together because I mentioned to you that Jesus undoubtedly gave these kinds of lessons in more than one context. And if I were, as I am this morning, speaking to you, and you were each taking notes, and Paul is taking notes over there, and Justine's taking some notes, and Ryan's taking some notes, If we were to come together at the end of the message and compare the notes that the three of them took, 
they would not be the same. They heard the same message. But different things would strike them as significant. And they would write those things down. And because of that, we would see differences in their notes. I said all of it. Probably. <laughs> Sometimes people take their notes wrong, but that's not true of the Scriptures. But, but you would have put down the things that struck a chord with you. The same can be said about the Gospel writers recording the words of Jesus. Jesus said a lot more than was ever written down. John tells us this at the end of his Gospel. He says, listen... If I wrote down everything that Jesus did and said, the whole world could not contain the books. He's plainly telling us all we have are brief glimpses. And so, whether Jesus uh, was speaking on two different occasions, which I happen to think he was, the point is, and I can see him saying something like this, you know, if one of you... Uh, your sons were to ask you for a, a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. And if one of your sons were to ask you for an egg, you wouldn't give him a scorpion. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do you think the, the, the Father, the Heavenly Father, would give good gifts to those who ask Him? In fact, how much more do you think He would give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, for Luke, the Holy Spirit is so crucial. In fact, if you read his Gospel and you read the book of Acts, you find that he has more recollection and more to say about the Holy Spirit than any other Gospel writer. So it's natural that that statement would leap out at him. It is also Natural that we would expect Jesus to say that the Heavenly Father is going to respond even more than an earthly father who has a basic moral fault. Human beings are morally corrupted. We have a problem. We are, by nature, apart from saving grace, we're evil at the core of our being. And even so, we are capable of acting nobly and rightly in certain situations. And so what Jesus is getting at is, even your natural uh, paternal affection for your children, you're not going to give them something that's going to destroy them. That's not what your purpose is. How much more is your Father going to respond to you? And that's something that Jesus underscores throughout this passage, is that God is interested. God cares about you. He he knows your need. He wants to be involved in responding to your prayers. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you good things. We have such a hard time with this. We have two problems. One is, we have a hard time believing that God could love us as much as He does. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, for the world is condemned already, but that through Him the world might be saved. 
God really, really loves us. He loves those of us who have come to Him for salvation and cleansing and forgiveness and and reconciliation. And He loves those who haven't. He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. We have a hard time believing that God loves us. The enemy has so convinced us, the accuser of the brothers, that, that God does not love us. That we have a hard time believing He does. I mean, if the enemy tells us we're sinful, lousy, rotten, dirty, stinking people, he's just dead on the money. We can't argue with that. But if he tells us God doesn't love us, it's a lie. Because he does. And the other thing we have a hard time with is we have a hard time with prayer. Prayer, for many of us, is a mystery. It's confusing. We don't know how to pray. We pray for the wrong things. James says... You ask and and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motivation, just wanting to satisfy your own passions and desires. So he says you ask for the wrong things. Or we keep throwing stuff up against the ceiling, as I've said, and and hoping something's going to stick and we don't see any answers. Or we know we're supposed to pray, so we just babble some some religious-sounding stuff. It always, it always amazes me at how people, when they pray, they, they think they have to go back to Elizabethan English like they just walked off of a Shakespeare stage. Lord, Thou dost knowest my deepest needest. And, and Thou art aware of... You know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. You don't talk to anybody else like that. We just spout this religious stuff, you know. God speaks modern English and, and, and any other modern language. He, he communicates with our heart and our heart language. But we feel like we just got to, okay, I'm supposed to pray, so I'm going to just say some stuff. And nothing ever happens. And we just kind of scratch our heads and the whole thing is mystifying. Jesus is serious in responding to his disciples He says, I want you to learn how to pray effectively so that you will get answers to your prayers. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door is opened. God's not playing with us. He's not teasing us. He's He wants to respond. He wants to bless. He wants to give answers. He wants us to see a direct correlation between what we are asking and what is happening around us in the world with those things that we have prayed about. He wants us to be able to make the connection. I prayed for this and that happened. And and that's and I know that because I asked for that and that's what God did. And He wants to build our faith through that and our confidence in Him. So He's not playing with us. But on the heels of this asking, seeking, and knocking stuff, He gives us this illustration about the Father that gives good gifts to His children, 
And Luke tells us that, that he concludes this by saying, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And Luke really kind of goes to the icing on the cake. He goes, he goes to the best thing. The, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful gift that we can receive. Some of us have our theology about the Trinity kind of goofed up. You know, but when we come to the Father through the Son, by the Spirit, which is kind of how it works, Jesus gave His life to reconcile us to the Father and to pour out into our lives the Holy Spirit so that in receiving the Holy Spirit, we have the literal indwelling presence of the living God. What can be better in your need than to have the indwelling presence of the living God? Who can give you guidance, can give you counsel, can help you pray when you don't know how to pray as you should. One who can intercede for you. One who can uh, direct your steps. One who can warn and guard you against the wrong steps. One who can guide your life. One who can empower you to to walk with certainty and and victory and confidence, what can be better than to have the Holy Spirit? You know, this is what, this is, as Luke kind of cuts to the chase, he says, this is the prize of all. And the promise throughout the Gospels is that Jesus is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Jesus is going to revisit this again in Luke chapter 18. Reminding us that the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift the Father can give. But if you can't pay your electric bill, and you don't know what to do, I have to be honest and say that you may be feeling like you just got shortchanged a little bit. You didn't, but that's hard to see in the crisis. And so I remind you that in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, the Father, how much more will the Father give good things to those who ask Him? He knows your need. He will give you the Holy Spirit as the greatest prize without neglecting the day-to-day, practical, functional, material needs of your life. God is interested in you at that level. The other thing that I think is in this passage about, and I was going to title this morning's message, had I been able to get you a study guide, uh, Snakes and Scorpions. And the other thing about this is, that Jesus says very plainly, the Father is not going to give you something that is bad for you. An earthly father who basically has, has a wicked heart is not going to give his child something bad for him. Your heavenly Father is not going to give you something bad for you. You know what the problem is there? Sometimes without realizing it, we're asking for snakes and scorpions. Oh, we think they're fish and and eggs and bread, but we're really asking 
for snakes and scorpions. Let me give you an illustration. Every other weekend, um, we have our grandchildren with us from Friday night through this weekend. It'll be through Sunday noon, Monday noon, tomorrow noon. And um, they're always very interesting. They're very picky eaters. There is one dominant food group that they are really keyed in on, especially the oldest one, Caden. He is keyed in on the dominant food group of sugar. He likes sugar. He wants sugar all the time. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich is his idea of a good balanced meal, followed by some cookies and topped off by a piece of candy. He thrives on sugar. We all go crazy because he's bouncing around the room, but he thrives on it. And he absolutely will not eat anything else. And we don't really like to give him sugar at our home without restraint. And so last night we had war at the dinner table. He had on his plate a little helping of green beans, a little helping of scalloped potatoes, a roll, and he wouldn't eat it. Didn't want it. Wasn't going to have any part to do with it. Time out. Trip to the bedroom with his dad. Have a conversation. Come back to the table. No more whining. Well, that lasted about 30 seconds. Finally, we took one green bean and one little potato cube and put it in another section of the plate. If you eat that, you can have some chocolate milk. Wasn't going to do it. Stephen says, why don't you hold your nose, put it in your mouth, chew fast and swallow. You won't taste it that way. No, he's having nothing to do with a green bean and a piece of potato. Absolutely nothing. So we go through this battle. And he is miserable. And he's making everybody miserable. Because he is not about to eat a green bean and a potato cube. He wants peanut butter and jelly. End of story. And he's having nothing to do with food. As far as I recall, I eventually gave up and went on to other things I was doing. <laughs> I think he left the table without eating, finally. Sometimes we're just like that. We come to God, we whine, we wail, we cry, we beg, we plead, because we want peanut butter and jelly. And he wants to give us real food. And we want sugar. And this thing goes on for a while, and then finally we give up and just throw up our hands and say, well, God doesn't answer prayer. And in, in the process, we, he was passionate. Caden was passionate. We're passionate about sugar. 
And that's not the key to getting prayers answered. It's merely an ingredient. God is not going to give us snakes and scorpions. Even if that's what we want, he's not going to do it. Because how much more will your Heavenly Father give you good things? And so he's drawing us into a dialogue with himself. Keep asking. If you're not getting the answers that you're expecting, find out what it is that you're supposed to be asking. Ask God about your asking. He wants to draw you into conversation. If you're not finding what you're looking for, talk to Him about what you're seeking. Allow God to bring refinement into your heart and mind so that eventually your will and His Merge and harmonize, and you're asking for the things that are best. God wants to bring us to a place in prayer where our hearts and minds are with Him. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? God wants us to walk with Him in this earth throughout our lives, with our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, and in the world around us, He wants us to walk in harmony with Him. Seeing what He sees, feeling what He feels, perceiving what He's desiring to do, and moving in concert with the divine will. And it is best for us. It is always best for us. He longs to bless us. He's not going to give us junk when He has riches to bestow. And we're asking for trinkets. And God wants to refine that. And we need to be willing to enter into that process with Him in prayer. There are many, many verses that promise that God answers prayers. I said a minute ago, He is not playing with us. He's not teasing us. He's not holding out the bait and snatching it away just as we reach. That's not His nature. But there is not a single verse unqualified that says we will get whatever we want. Every single verse is in the context of qualification. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How many of you can say this morning, don't raise your hand, just think about it. How many of you can say I am abiding in Christ, and His words are abiding in me. And when I pray, I'm asking in the purposes of God. When you are, there's a guarantee that you will get what you ask. But there is nothing that says you're going to get everything you want, like He's Santa Claus and this is Christmas. There are mysteries about prayer, some of them because we go about it all the wrong way, and some of them because they really take us to depths beyond which we have trouble even conceiving.
that God has chosen to act in harmony with and on the basis of our praying. I believe I can support that with Scripture. That God will not do things on this planet that no one asks Him for. He will not do things on his, this planet that He does not want to do. You cannot twist His arm and make Him do something that He does not purpose to do. But many times we hear that and we're tempted to say, so what difference does it make whether I pray or not? I mean, if He's only going to do whatever He wants, why should I bother? He's just going to do it. That's fatalism. And what it does not take into account is that the Scripture says, you don't have because you don't ask. When you do ask, you're asking for the wrong stuff just to satisfy your own lust and so you don't get it. But we do not reckon with the fact that we don't have because we don't ask. God has limited Himself, if I may say that, to the authority that He has invested in His people. He gave Adam dominion. Adam and Eve were placed in authority over this planet. Satan robbed them of it, stole it blind. In redemption, we are restored to that position as rightful heirs. And we are granted the opportunity to intercede with the Father that His will will be done here as it is in heaven. And it is our responsibility to join Him in His work. He respects the authority of human beings that He has placed over this planet, beginning now with His Son, who is the firstborn of a new creation. And we are called to join that, that team in asking the will of God to be accomplished. And... In the process, He promises to care for us and to meet us and to, to lead us and direct us. And He is not disinterested in our personal needs. But He wants us to move into a global mindset with Him, praying for His will. Prayer is an essential part of our walk with God. In fact, as I've quoted before, Armin Gesswein said, until you've prayed, there's absolutely nothing you can do. After you've prayed, there's absolutely nothing you cannot do. But until you've prayed, there is nothing you can do. We don't have any power. But we are in a living relationship with the one who holds all power and authority. And we have been granted the privilege... Of praying, and I want you to know from these thirteen verses that the that the underlying message that Jesus is giving his disciples is the Father loves you, the Father wants to bless you, the Father wants to answer your prayers, the Father is interested in your needs. You can come to him with confidence. He wants to meet you.
and to care for you and for all the things around you that concern you. He's interested. Lord, teach us to pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand the the reality of this and that we would be willing learners in the school of prayer. That we would keep at it. It may frustrate us, it may mystify us, it may irritate us. Sometimes we may feel like the heavens are brass and other times we may feel like it's a mockery. But Lord, by faith we move beyond all of those feelings and we believe that you really are interested and you really care. And you want to accomplish specific things. And you long for us to join you in your purposes. And so in the name of Jesus, Father, teach us by your Spirit how to pray. We ask it in his name. Amen.